Let me stretch out, warm up. Go, champ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Ah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll try and be more enthusiastic. Enthusiastic intro. <laughs> Start the video in <laughs> Oh, for fuck's oh, yeah. sake. We're back again. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that was like the start of the news. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Run With It at uh, 11 minutes past two. <laughs> I've got 12 over here, bro. I don't know. Ah, well, 11, actually. Yeah, you're all good. I'm living in the past, what could I say? <laughs> uh, so this is one of the episodes of our Rumdamental series, four. Episode four, correct. Yeah. Winning. I know, I know precisely what we're doing. We're on the ball. Um, and today we are going to be talking about uh, barrel aging, um, well, aging in general, um, probably mostly with barrels. <laughs> and this kind of follows on from our previous couple of podcasts about uh, distillation and a couple of different methods of distillation. Um, so kind of as a kind of starting point, we've got our sort of completely unaged, straight off or still whichever method it may be um rum essentially and now we are going to make it taste even better hopefully by uh sticking it in a barrel for a little bit is the plan solid intro good job <laughs> good job so yeah as andy mentioned basically all the episodes we've done prior to this one have been the kind of lead up to the point we're at now. So we had to select and uh, ferment our raw ingredients. We then had to distill it in some way to bump up the ABV. Um, so all that kind of provided the foundation. Uh, and now at this point, we're looking to basically add like some complexity and some additional elements to make it a well-rounded, finalized product. Um, Aging, again, like all the other topics we've touched on, there's like a million and one different rabbit holes we could jump down and things we could discuss. Some things are a bit more controversial than others. Um, there's certainly, in the modern age, a lot of experimentation going on, aging in different vessels, aging in different regions around the world and stuff like that. I think, again, we'll kind of just sort of touch on the general premise of it, like the kind of the theory behind aging itself what it's actually doing to our distilled product and and effects it's having on the you know on the final taste uh, and i'm sure we'll touch a little bit on kind of different methodologies if you will or things that are favored by different parts of favored in different parts of the world and things like that um I get always the best thing to do is if you really do have any questions more in depth or specifics just drop us a comment or a message or whatever, let us know. And it's something that we'll touch upon, I'm sure, in the future when we dive, take a more in-depth uh, look at, you know, brand specifics. Right. So the reason why uh, we kind of started aging rum in the first place um, was basically because a lot of it was coming over um, in this sort of slave triangle type thing uh, involving sugar as well. Um, between sort of Africa, Caribbean, and the UK, 
Um, so a lot of this rum would be transported back from the Caribbean to the UK in barrels. And kind of people caught on to the fact that it seemed to taste better after being sat in a barrel on a ship for, you know, a couple of months or however long it took to get back over the Atlantic. Um, so this is kind of where the sort of the whole idea of barrel aging really kind of uh, stems from when it comes to rum. Um, certainly started to make a difference then and kind of went from there really and snowballed and people realised the longer you leave it in the barrel sometimes it will taste even better. Um, so a lot of these barrels as well um, kind of in terms of Caribbean producers anyway uh, will be made from uh, American oak so they'll usually be old bourbon barrels um, and basically that's uh, a couple of reasons. Um, so one is uh, one of the laws surrounding making bourbon in America is that you have to use like a they call it like a virgin oak barrel. So it has to be a completely fresh, never had anything before American oak barrel. So they tend to have all these like uh, bourbon producers, uh, like you know Woodford, uh, Jim Beam, um, you know uh, ugh, Buffalo Trace. I ran out of bourbon producers then. All things. <laughs> Uh, um, they use a lot of JD as well. Uh, but, JD's, yeah, a prevalent one. Yeah. Um, so basically, all these, all these people, all these producers in America, these American whiskey producers, will have loads of leftover barrels that they don't really have a use for anymore because they, you know, the law states that they can't use them again. Um, so, kind of purely geographically, it kind of makes sense to send them not too far on uh, a ship to the Caribbean and kind of sell them to rum producers. So a lot of rum producers will buy these kind of ex-bourbon barrels. I mean, they get used all over the world these days, but kind of sort of in the past, this kind of this kind of relationship started just through kind of purely geographical and this sort of law. Um, so you find a lot of stuff will be finished in, or aged, sorry, in ex-bourbon barrels, um, which kind of does have a little impact on the flavour, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Jack, do you want to talk a little bit kind of more in depth as to why we actually age things? <laughs> like what's the oh, reason leave, behind it? Believe me with the with the heavy stuff. Yes. Well, I guess there's there's a lot of different reasons, right? Uh the kind of the primary one is when a spirit comes kind of fresh off the still a lot of producers are going to kind of want to leave it to rest for a little bit in order to basically like develop. I don't, I don't, I don't I never really know a way of wording it without it sounding negative because kind of terms like, you know, like harshness and like adding complexity, it may sound like something isn't going to be pleasant in the way it's not much, but producers will obviously sit these products in the barrels and over the course of time, due to a number of reasons that we'll get to in a second, the, I'm trying to think of that. I really can't think of a very like positive way of describing it. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of it's mellows different... mellows everything out, and you know, it kind of takes that slight edge, I suppose, off something that is going to be very new in terms of like a spirit. You know, if it's not been aged at all, it is going to be kind of a bit more rough and ready, and kind of this whole aging process just seems to take that really harsh edge off it, certainly. 
Like, you know, you're not going to... These sort of more sort of complicated um, conages and these flavor molecules and stuff, they actually um, basically grow over time in a barrel um, for a couple of reasons. Um, so one of which is um, evaporation. So if kind of all these rum producers in these very warm climates uh, are kind of unfortunately losing a lot of rum a year, I imagine, if they've got a, a fair few barrels, uh, which most of them do. Um, so we're talking anywhere between sort of 75 8% to 10% of your barrel every year just gets lost through evaporation. Um, so kind of what is these barrels obviously aren't completely airtight, so stuff can get in and out. Hence uh, the loss of rum. So what that'll do is um, kind of concentrate all these flavors as well. Um, as well as that, um, you're kind of going to get some stuff coming through from the wood itself. Um, so a prime example is, as we were talking about American oak, um, it has this um, flavor um, ester in there called vanillin, um, which is obviously the same flavor as vanilla. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of these rums are going to get these vanilla notes from if they're not adding it themselves, which we'll get onto in the next podcast, <laughs> is, uh, is actually from like this, uh, these American oak having vanilla in it, which is going to interact with the, with the rum uh, and kind of impart these flavors. Um, Another thing is uh, these kind of esters and conages and uh, these flavor molecules, stuff like that. They actually start to change over time due to uh, oxidization. So um, some of them will actually develop into different flavors over time. Um, so, you know, some of your more fresh fruit flavors are going to change slightly um, into kind of it goes from a bit more sort of green apple sort of flavor into these kind of like more citrus um ugh, sorry more like tropical fruit um so you're looking at it this way you start getting these like really deep interesting flavors you start to get these sort of like tobacco notes and things like that starting to come through your room like leather is uh, is another one as well that you'll find in stuff that's been aged for like a very very long time yeah yeah absolutely i think one thing to kind of touch on that we've not really discussed yet is Kind of like with most stuff we've described with rum, up to this point, there's a lot of different preferences, uh, depending on where you are in the world. Um, and as well as preferences, there's actually a lot of laws, rules and regulations, depending on where you are. There are certain places in the world where, like we've discussed before, they're pushing for what we call GIs, or geographical indicators. Often within these rules and regulations, what is included is practices behind aging methodology and post-distillation practices so something that's interesting to know is like a comparison scotch whiskey so scotch whiskey around the world for some reason it's just universally accepted at this point that all the rules that were kind of initially formed around making scotch they are just 
they are like that around the world. Everyone has to stick by it. It can't be scold, it can't be called a scotch unless it follows X, Y, and Z rules. Rum is a little bit different because it's produced in so many different places. There is so much variety as to what people are doing post-distillation, including what they're choosing to do with the aging processes. There are certain people pushing within their GIs that are asking for at least a minimum amount of aging in a particular place that it's made. So, for example, Barbados, there's a lot of people right now pushing that it has to be aged for at least a couple of years in Barbados before the barrels are shipped off anywhere else to continue aging. That is quite important for a variety of reasons. The, the environment itself really does impact on the processes that Andy was just talking about. It really depends on how much evaporation is taking place, how much oxidization is taking place. Uh, and as a result, will totally depend on the outcome of the final product. Scotch, by law, it has to be aged in oak barrels and aged for a minimum of three years, and it has all been aged in Scotland. So it is that one set climate. So there is that consistency there that kind of runs throughout. Rum is coming from all over the world. So depending on where it's from, it's going to be vastly, vastly different. Typically in a warm climate, in like a Caribbean climate, on average, the general rule of thumb is that a product will age about three times quicker. So the rate, this rate of evaporation, and he touched upon about 8 to 10% of this angel's share, um, 8 to 10% of the volume of a barrel every year. If you're losing that, it's probably going to be three times as less than the scotch. Um, but on the flip side, the more positive is that this process is kind of happening quite a lot quicker. So this kind of mellowing, this additional complexity and the kind of like maturity of these congeners and esters and stuff is likely going to happen a lot quicker. So if you're imagining this barrel that's sat there throughout the day when it's warm, it's expanding a lot. Then at night when it cools down, it contracts, it's sucking in all the liquids that's inside that barrel. So it's actually like sinking into the wood. It's taking on all those flavors all the kind of ex-bourbon notes or whatever whatever product was in there prior. It's taken all those characteristics. Then again, sun comes back up, it expands, spitting that back out, and it's rinse and repeat on that process for a prolonged period of time. Um, so it's interesting because I think traditionally a lot of people, kind of the connotations of age are always a staple of how high quality the product's going to be. So most of the time in whiskey, if you've got a, you know, a 12-year-old scotch and an 18-year-old scotch, chances are the 18 is going to have a lot more complexity to it and is going to be higher quality as a general rule of thumb. Rum is completely different. It really does depend on your palate and what kind of style you're looking for and what you're going for as to, as to what products you should pick. And that is why when it comes to likes of age statements on bottles and the way things are marketed, there's been a lot of controversy and back and forth over the years um yeah so just to kind of expand on that as well a little bit more um it's kind of uh another thing you'll it's kind of like a big difference in between these sort of like warmer climates and, and cooler climates um is kind of the loss of alcohol and water so that's going to have an impact on your kind of final product anyway so if you're aging somewhere that's very hot very dry um the air is going to want more water rather than the alcohol out of your barrel. So um, sometimes like um, bourbon, again, is a prime example for this. So their actual alcoholic content uh, will actually go up because it's aged in such a dry climate. So the air actually wants the water rather than the alcohol. 
whereas somewhere in Scotland where it's kind of, you know, pissing down for half the year, um, their ABV actually goes down because um, the air's got enough moisture in it, so it wants to take mm-hmm. that whole coal out instead. Um, again, that's gonna, obviously going to impact our kind of concentration of flavour and stuff like that, so it's going to have a, quite a big impact. Um, what else was going to mention? Oh, um, another thing you'll find a lot of producers are doing at the moment um, is actually taking off age statements. Oh, yeah, okay, um, so... Kind of what you were touching on there is the idea of like a uniformity throughout the category as a whole. Again, touching on Scotch whiskey as an example, given that all of it comes from one relatively small area, it's kind of unanimously agreed upon that an age statement that features on any Scotch product has to, by law, be the youngest age mark in that blend that's featured in the bottle. Rum is very different. There are some countries that, play by those same rules that I just outlined, but there are many others that think that you can include the the oldest age in the blend as, you know, the age statement that's on the bottom. Um, a whole variety of different things. And so a lot of producers now are deciding to basically just scrap the idea of including an age at all in order to avoid confusion. And it's all part of this movement of, you know, transparency, aligned with this kind of premiumization that's going on. There are a lot more products that are coming out now that do have older rums in the blends, uh, but they don't want to promote it in a disingenuous kind of way. So coming up with kind of like different funky names and stuff like that is the kind of way around, you know, that yeah. confusion. Um, yeah. So um, as Jack was saying, you know, some technically there's nothing um apart from these places with uh, these geographical um indicators there's nothing to stop someone putting sort of one percent um of their batch of rum will be you know a 20 20 year old rum say and the rest of it may be two years old and there is actually nothing wrong with someone writing 20 years old on the, the bottle it's really that lack of transparency that um people are really trying to get rid of at the moment um so a couple of a couple of places where you won't find that um is certainly anything coming out of jamaica um uh jamaica barbados and guyana probably i think um guyana is certainly all the same distillery so unless someone else buys some rum off them and kind of does it like that anything from actually the demerara distillers uh, i believe will be a minimum age statement um certainly anywhere from jamaica i'm pretty sure it's in the gi that says it has to be a thingy but then again you know it doesn't stop them selling it from someone else and someone else kind of uh skewing the numbers a little bit i suppose yeah that that was exactly what i was just gonna say even even within the realms of what you would consider to be pretty kind of airtight laws because so much rum is getting done in bulk um, and getting sent to, to different places around the world to be used within other products. Again, it can be, it gets a little bit hazy as to what's actually acceptable and what's not. Um, and it's the same, it's the same idea that I think we spoke about in, in a prior podcast at some point, the idea of just using a country of origin on, on your label. There's a lot of dispute as to when that is acceptable because there are certain producers that really feel that just using the country of origin in itself is a mark of quality and the idea is is that some of these 
like mass producing um these these companies that are yeah mass producing and the quality might not be quite as good as kind of like you know riding on the coattails of some of these very historically embedded you know good quality high reputation producers and they're kind of like almost tarnishing their name so it it all gets very very gets very very fuzzy yeah <laughs> Um, so kind of while we're on this, it's probably a good time to explain um, the Solera system, uh, really, which is um, another way of aging. I believe it comes from like sherry or port. Um, it has that kind of vibe, just in even the name, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I believe it is a very like, it's a, like a kind of Spanish way of aging things, basically. Um so that's why you'll find like a lot of these places um, that are kind of do these like sort of Spanish style rooms um, will have like sort of a Solera kind of aging process. So prime example is uh, like Ronza Kappa. Um, I believe all their stuff Solera um, or certainly a vast majority of it is. Um, I'm pretty sure I think Santa Teresa maybe as well. Um Kind of a lot of these sort of Spanish, uh, Spanish kind of countries where they produce rum, it, it's kind of nine times out of ten, I, I would say, or maybe eight, <laughs> eight out of ten, uh, will be kind of the Solera-based aging system. So, kind of, if you imagine a sort of triangle of barrels like this, so basically what they do is put the um, youngest rum in the top of these barrels, and then what we'll do is take the oldest stuff out of the bottom. So every time you put some stuff in the, every time you take some stuff out of the bottom, you're basically refilling it from the top. Um, and then if you take out from the bottom layer, again, you kind of, everything just shuffles down a layer. It's probably not very well explained, but uh, that's kind of the basics behind it. Yeah. I think it's important to note as well is that a lot of these people, uh, a lot of these producers, I should say, they're not necessarily trying to hide the fact that they use this methodology. There are actually some that are quite proud of the way in which they do it. And they think that that in itself is a, it's a very legitimate and difficult process to master. Um, so again, Ronsacab is a prime example. The Ronsacab 23 is probably what would be considered as their, their flagship run from Guatemala. And it says in big, Brighton, you know, twenty. it says 23 and it says Solera on the bottle. Some people argue, however, that those that are quite, not quite as in touch, kind of in the spirits industry and what that means, they will just see the big red 23 and that will be their their guideline as to the kind of quality of the product. Um, and there are certain people that regard that as disingenuous when that's then thrown in there with lots of kind of like romantic language and descriptions and stuff that doesn't necessarily really mean anything or make much sense it's just kind of like a marketing thing producers start to other producers that is start to think that it's a little bit disingenuous and they might be kind of using all of this all of these other things to to mask the fact the product's maybe not quite as good quality or certainly not as much time and effort and that maturity hasn't taken place. It's maybe been pushed forward by artificial means or, you know, other methods. 
Yeah, but speaking about that room sort of specifically, I'm sure I have seen somewhere someone did like a, a sort of chemical analysis on it. And um, from the kind of the levels of like all these different esters and conjugates and stuff in there, they kind of reckon that the average of it is only probably about six years old, in fact, like five to six. So right. that's the the you know, it's a lot, there's going to be a lot younger room in there than some 23-year, I'm not arguing the fact that there might be some 23-year-old room in there, but it certainly doesn't make up the majority of what's in there. But then you compare that yeah. to something like, you know, Eldorado uh, 25, for example, you know, <laughs> that is like a minimum of 25 years, you're going to have some stuff in there that's probably 26, 27, maybe. Um, you know, and it's, about five times more expensive <laughs> because yeah. like yeah. a lot more like time and effort has gone into it, you know? Um, yeah. And again, and, like, and uh, kind of like what I, what I was saying at the start, it, it's nice that women's a category where age isn't necessarily a mark of, of quality. Like you just threw out some numbers there and you know, you said that, the average is five to six years. I've had plenty of rooms that are five to six years old. They're great. I've had some rooms that are 20 plus years old and they're, they're not that great. Um, it's more just this idea that for the average Joe, who's maybe like new to the category and wants to try something that's a slightly more premium, they'll see some, they'll see that big red 23 and they don't realize that actually one, it's just not a very accurate indicator nor is it just a good guideline anyway as to, to what you should be looking for. Um, and it, this, this idea then feeds into other elements. You know, again, certain countries will predominantly have certain styles. I feel like looking at country to country is definitely a more accurate way of, an accurate indicator as to what sort of style you're going to be getting from the bottle. But if people are jumping on the bandwagon and using Barbados or Jamaica or Guyana or anywhere around the world, you know, you can you, you name it, the people that are kind of tarnishing tarnishing that name and there's a lot of diluting the the market there and stuff, it it just gets very, very difficult for a consumer to differentiate and, and find what they're truly looking for. I can't remember who it was, but it was very early on when I first started learning about rum and doing tasting sessions and stuff. And they said that everyone is a rum drinker. You just have to find the rum that's right for you. Uh, and I think that is totally true, but the way that, or certainly the way that the market could tip, it would make it very difficult for people to find exactly what they're actually looking for without other people fighting the good fight and kind of wanting to put some rules and regulations into place. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm trying to think if we need to do anything else. Oh, we can talk about um, finishing stuff in different weird barrels. That's fun, yeah, right? I was going to say that as well, because even though this was technically discussing aging, and we've not actually talked too much about you know the aging process itself, yeah. some of the, like, the oldest rooms that you've had, like what's your verdict on them, and, and what are some of the oldest rooms out there available on the market that you've seen? Uh, so obviously we've kind of spoke about this before, but obviously the Apton 50 is probably the oldest that is kind of, I don't even know if any still available. I'm, I couldn't tell you. Uh, it's been out for a few years now. Um, and I know there's very limited amounts made. Um, 
but that is kind of for me that is a bit too much um it kind of it takes on too much of this sort of like woody element to it so as well when we're talking about aging something that we haven't brought up yet is at kind of most of the time it uh is actually where the color from color of the room comes from is uh basically the tannins in the wood so same as you get in red wine or uh tea when you don't put enough milk in it and it kind of uh dries your mouth out those are all tannins so it's all the same thing these tannins are kind of going to give our rum that sort of kind of nice tea almost like tea color uh, depending on how long you age it for and in what barrels and stuff as well you age it through um so these are also going to impact the flavor you know it's going to give it that nice sort of balance of a little bit of dryness that kind of entices you to drink some more i suppose <laughs> that's my excuse anyway um uh and it's also gonna you know affect flavor and things like that and something like that some 50 is a prime example i think for me personally of that going a bit too far that way it is very tannic and and very dry i mean if you're into if you can afford that <laughs> to drink some i suppose you're into some stuff that probably is kind of a lot older so you know, you might be into drinking some 80-year-old cognac or something, um, which they, you know, age very well. Um, but certainly a 50-year-old room, I think, is a bit too much for me. Uh, I much prefer something like a 21-year Appleton or even the, the Joy Blend is uh, way better for, for me personally. Um, yeah. Other than that, I'm trying that's, to think... That's, that's, that's a mix of 25, 35-year-olds, right? Yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah. that. Um, that's certainly, but even then that's, you know, it's, I wouldn't necessarily say someone that's just getting into room should go immediately and spend, you know, 200 pounds on that bottle because you're probably not going to appreciate it. I don't think, you know, because it is kind of a very, it is very full on and like the flavor is, it is very concentrated flavor, you know, um, if you think about, well, a prime example is, it doesn't necessarily always work like this, but if you lose 10% of your barrel a year, say you start off with 100 litres, after seven years, you're going to have 49 litres left uh, if you lose 10% every year. Um, they kind of minimise this by kind of topping barrels up from the barrels and stuff like that, but that's kind of... Imagine after like sort of 50 years, you've lost a lot of rum, so that flavour is like super, super concentrated, um, and it's just a bit much for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything like really old other than that. There's Appleton 30 that's really nice. Um, yeah, there's there's a an El, there's a 50 year El Dorado, um, but that is it's a it's a mix of like 33 year to 50 year. I yeah, think part of like it is to, 50th anniversary of the yeah yeah exactly. So I don't think it's strictly a bang 50 year plus mm-hmm. rum. Um, but a lot of the other Eldorado rums from Guyana, I guess it's kind of somewhat of an important one to touch on when thinking about premium kind of sipping rums and, and yeah. age statements and aging and whatnot. So as you said, uh, DDL, uh, Diamond Distillers Limited, basically the the layout, the, the structure in Guyana over the previous few hundred years was there was typically a lot of, of smaller plantations and then on these plantations, these sugar plantations would typically be at least a small still operating on there as well. As you know, I think there was 400. 308 at one point. 
Really, is that true? Was yeah. The most, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Three hundred eighty schools. Yeah. So fortunately, over time, of course, the the slave trade kind of dwindled all together. Um, so throughout that time, these smaller plantations and distilleries kind of ended up like merging into one. And now it's basically all under the umbrella of this DDL. So it's basically like a hybrid of all the past kind of distillation methods and technology and, and infrastructure that all these other plantations and, and whatnot have kind of like, you know, merged together. So it features some very, very, there's some very old stills in there. And yeah, it's just steeped in history. But Guyana is one of these places where age statements, it has to be the minimum age in the, in the blend is put on the bottle. And in 1990, when I think it was, was it 1990, I think it was the early nineties, either way was when the first bottle came out from DDL under the name El Dorado. And it was actual their 15 year run. Um, and that is one of the first products that kind of gained traction in the, the sipping world of rum, if you will, it's, for anyone that's had it before it's it's sort of like on the sweeter side isn't it and it's it's just it's a nice entry level a lot of people say it has a number of parallels to whiskey and stuff so that is a nice way to kind of get people through the through the through the door um i've kind of forgotten what point was from bringing up el dorado to be honest <laughs> i think it was just the yeah the idea of the age statements i suppose um yeah. they are still a very prominent rum you know in the category that are featuring the age bang in big letters on the um and they are certainly quality products in in a lot of cases they do actually add a little bit of sugar after the fact which is something a post distillation you know uh, choice that we'll touch on in another video but we won't worry about that here too much um but yeah it's it's interesting to see how different countries go about it in such different ways you know I, I don't really know where else to go with that <laughs> point. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's weird to see how how differently people market the products and and what kind of choices they make and why. Um, I I personally quite like the idea that in a lot of instances they're moving away from it because, as I alluded to previously, I really do think that it's it means it means a very different thing, the age of rum to the age of, say, a, a scotch. And certainly in the UK, historically, you know, we're, we're used to seeing scotch. We, we're used to the idea of kind of, yeah, that age being a, being an indicator of the quality and it, and it being that age, that, that legitimate, you know, age. I, I think personally, a lot of people aren't even aware that, you know, say 15-year-old scotch is often going to be a blend of lots of different, ages 15 yeah. being the youngest i quite honestly think a lot of people that aren't really into spirits too much think that it's just you know a whiskey that was made put in a barrel for 15 years and then put into a bottle and that's yeah. it you know no 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 one's they don't practices. think anyone's kind of like you know spent the time and effort to select all of these barrels and mix them together to make something that tastes like the 15 year that you would have tried like three years ago um you know, and that is uh, that is going back to exactly. this kind so, of. Um, I was going to say going back to sort of people taking these age statements off bottles. This is like a prime example of that. You know, you 
you can get stuff you can people are starting to blend stuff now that is going to be true to that thing so one of the prime examples i always use is like mount gear clips so that um that recipe has been around since like 1905 or something and, i think it's 1910 um well there you go all right I'll yeah it up, so. <laughs> old either way <laughs> and they must yeah. be doing something right if they never tweaked it so you know uh well yeah but you know the the reason why there's not an age statement on that is because there might be some two year in there but then there might be some five year in there you know and then one year the two year might not be quite ready or you know it might have been put in a slightly breezy area of the warehouse so it's not aged quite as they thought it might um so then they might have to change it so there might be some more like three year in there or there might not be any five year in there one year it might be some four year or you know it's kind of it's all about that sort of balance next and that's why these master distillers are so clever and like these master blenders are so clever whereas they can never mind the distillation part of things that it's amazing um it's kind of it is having this knowledge of all these barrels that you've got aging and tasting them all and in their head they're going right i need to put all these together to make something that tastes the same as the product did you know 10 years ago 15 years ago they're like oh that's that's like the true sort of brilliance of the whole aging thing you know you it's going to be different every time you know the the wood in the barrels the staves in the barrels might be you know the knots in them or you know the actual grain of the wood might be slightly looser one year so you know you're gonna get the rum going into the into the barrel a little bit more so if it's doing that over and over again day after day it's going to age faster and it's going to make stuff taste different um you know no two barrels are going to be the same um no two barrels of rum after a couple of years are going to be the same um that's kind of what the people i think like you said don't really understand like how how much actual effort goes into um sort of making these things uh taste the same <laughs> if anything it's, it's very impressive um and that's why you yeah, start yeah, getting just getting consistent <laughs> yeah yeah so it, yeah no no it's uh it's certainly a fascinating process so no i was just gonna say so we've obviously like we've talked about using bourbon barrels what about other vessels for aging and when it comes to rum and how will that impact on the flavor oh um so like i'm interviewing you don't i <laughs> yeah i like it uh so it kind of uh it obviously depends what other barrel you're going to use so a couple of examples um that you see probably see quite a lot of uh plantation is a prime example of someone they're obviously a french company um that have their own maison ferrand as well which makes cognac so they have access to a lot of French oak barrels uh, rather than American oak. So a lot of uh, their products, um, stuff like uh, Plantation XO um, and some of the other um, sort of weirder expressions that they do, like the yearly ones and things like that, they'll actually go, uh, they'll ship the rum back to France and it'll do a secondary aging in French oak. So French oak tends to be a little bit less... Uh, vanilla heavy um, obviously you're going to get some of that residual cognac sort of flavour that's left in there which is a little bit more fruity anyway 
So you're going to get like that nice sort of like dried like raisins and stuff like that, like dried fruit. You're going to get a little bit more of that out of French cask. Um, and then uh, they tend to be a little bit more like, uh, it'd be like toast flavours almost. Um, it sounds a bit odd, but it's like uh, like pastry, sort of this uh, Maillard reaction that also happens in barrels as well. So basically when you're aging things, um, all the insides of the barrels are charred um, and there's like different different char levels are going to have a different kind of effect on the flavour uh, of your rum. So basically like the heaviest char is called like crocodile char because it kind of looks like the crocodile's back on the inside of the, uh, the barrel. Um, and that is obviously, what that's doing is kind of, first of all, breaking down the wood so it makes it a little bit easier for the spirit to get in and out of the wood. Um, and it also caramelizes some of the sugar in the wood as well, um, which is going to give you this sort of bit more interesting flavor, a bit more like caramelly sort of tones and things like that. Uh, and then you can also, if you go into like that level of char, you're going to get like a toffee and like almost like a sort of bonfire nighty kind of Halloween-y sort of flavors, you know, all that sort of, uh, yeah, almost like burnt sugar toffee or yeah all the good stuff um yeah yeah, yeah. and then lighter chars are obviously going to give you um different things as well um and then kind of as well as french oak there's a lot of a lot of people that will do like sherry sherry cask finishes um so that's kind of again it's it's going to go to a lot sweeter it's going to be a lot of like residual sugar left in that wood from the sherry anyway. Um, so that's going to give you a lot more fruity flavors, things like that. Um, same with like something like port or um, oh, what's the word? Madeira. Yes, that's the one. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it escaped my mind there. Um, yeah. So like port, Madeira, sherry, they're all going to have a uh, very similar effect. So it's going to sweeten up a little bit, but then you're going to get that kind of underlying fruitiness coming through anyway from uh like grapes and the grapes and stuff that have kind of gone into that process um so that again it's just adding that layer of kind of complexity and you know you don't even have to leave things in those barrels for very long at all you know you three months it's going to make a difference six months it's going to make a a big difference um and it depends i guess on what kind of balance they want to achieve do they just want like subtle notes of these kind of fruity flavors or these uh, like you touched on before these kind of like wintry or like bonfire nighty flavors or do they want that to be at the forefront me personally i think my my preference is, is that i always like the kind of like raw elements of a rum to shine through and any of these additionals i want it to almost be like a like a side wow. note little added you know, bonus yeah yeah so like sherry's a prime example sherry's i mean i like sherry anyway and i, I certainly like um rum that's being like finished in sherry casks and that like sweetness and that kind of like rich fruitiness definitely adds like an extra dimension it is great however there are certain rums out there where it that sherry flavor is almost at the forefront and it feels far too feels far too thick and sticky and, and, and sweet. And it, it, it almost just overpowers what I'm sure is a really good, almost like 
the baseline rough foundation are there it's kind of like they're almost like ruined by uh, the additional you know kind of it's kind of how i feel about adding a lot of additives and, and flavoring to rum um often it's there to sort of like mimic complexity or you know mimic sweetness or whatever and it actually ends up making a a rum taste like it's lower quality if someone's been naturally aged there's there's just a difference there isn't there you know there's a difference i think that you could get a rum that was fairly mature and add loads of stuff to it to kind of like really amplify and and, and elevate that those mature sort of vibes and it actually ends up making it seem way more artificial and less high quality you know so i think it's the same when it comes to the likes of adding different that's next um, podcast don't worry yeah yeah it's like quite a nice segue isn't it um yeah i think what's what's the difference because it's something that confused me certainly for a while what do you think is a good way of describing the difference between like aging in different casks or barrels and just finishing so if someone says like oh it's a rum that's been finished in sherry or it's a rum that's been aged in sherry casks like how would you describe i would say I think if something's finished in something, it's a a lot shorter period of time. So if something's aged in a different barrel, it's going to be a case of it's going to spend the majority of its time aging in that barrel. You know, if something's finished off in something, you know, you're probably looking at less than a year probably. Um, And nine times out of ten, what they'll do if if you want to, completely age something in a different barrel they'll tend to use barrels they call them like spent barrels or like they'll be nearly spent so that means they've been used mm-hmm. a couple of times before probably um kind of a lot of the a lot of these um nice things that we want that are inside the wood itself have kind of been used up you know it's on its last legs basically um so what that's going to do is it's not going to impart it's not going to be overpowering that sort of amount of flavor if you if you want to stick something in in there for a long period of time you know long and well i say long period of time any longer than sort of like a year to like six months to a year if you put you know uh, a second like a first fill after the fact uh port cask say that's literally it's had port in it they've emptied the port out and then you put your rum in it and put it in there for like five years it's probably not going to taste very good it's going to be completely overpowered by port um you know so they tend to use like a lot like older barrels that have uh seen some things a bit like us (laughs) too been through the wars um so it's not going to kind of impart that over over like over the top amount of flavor in there but it's still going to be there um and i'd say like cask finish things like I said, tend to be be a very short period of time, kind of like in and out. And usually it'll be like, you know, like we've mentioned, uh, but you can also use, you know, we've got some rum in, in work that is uh, finished with uh, Isla whiskey casks. That's really interesting. It gives that sort of smoky edge to it, but I think that's only six months, like in yeah. and out job. Um, yeah. I've got some rum here actually that is kind of finished it spends a couple of years in um, French oak and then a year in Irish whiskey casks or six mm. months in Irish whiskey casks, I think, you know, there's, um, and again, that's just adding layers of complexity, which is fair enough. Um, 
there's what else have I seen? Uh, oh, we've got Kashasha in the work that is uh, actually aged in three different types of wood. Uh, so that's from Brazil. Um, and that's aged in barrels that are made from two native species of tree from Brazil and uh, in American oak as well. And then they blend all three together. And that is delicious. Mm. Uh, it's Yaguar. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Try it. It's like the best Kashasha I've ever tried, I think. It's wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think for the weird things that you can age stuff in. Some people I've seen use like cherry oak and th- uh, cherry wood and things like that. But um, yeah, some um, gin. Yeah, uh, Herno do a gin. I guess the general in. trend is that. No, no, I was just interested. Finish your thought. Yeah, Her- Herno actually uh, make like a little barrel. I'm not sure if I know about this Herno gin. Uh, that's finished in uh, actual juniper wood casks, which is quite interesting for like six months or so. Yeah. It's delicious mm. as well. Really good. Um, but anyway, that's gin. Ignore that. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess the general the, the general trend is that people are getting more and more experimental just because the availability is there. You know, it's, it's so much easier to import and export materials than it. Well, I mean, not in the last few months, but <laughs> yeah, up until this, yeah, up until up until recently, you know, it's never been as as, as easy to uh, to transport all this stuff and kind of have a little bit of a play around with it and 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 see what's what. And I just think that like uh, American oak, it's one of those things where it's not necessarily going to be around forever, is it? You know, it's in such high demand, and I mean, the volumes of bourbon that are getting produced every year it's to say that each time you know it's got to be a fresh barrel they're not cheap and you know we don't just have infinite resources so the idea that people now are preemptively toying around with a lot of different materials and vessels to age these things in it's it's yeah producing some interesting results and, and rum mm-hmm. As we've known, it might stay this way. You know, like how weird would it be if in the future, you know, getting a, a rum that was aged in American oak? Imagine if that was like weird. That was like a, uh, a rarity. Rare. Could could happen yeah. potentially. Yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking of you know American oak right now, you you're probably looking at getting about four barrels out of a tree that is the best part of hundred years old. To put it into perspective, as like how that's why. Um, Barrels are not cheap. Uh, they're probably, for like a 200 litre barrel, you're probably looking at at least £300. Um, and then some of the kind of rarer, you know, someone, something like a Pedro Jimenez sherry cask, uh, they're, they're in quite high demand for like finishing stuff off in. So they could be anywhere up to like £800, £1,000 for, yeah. for a used barrel. <laughs> How depressing is that? <laughs> I mean, it makes great rum, but. Uh, it's madness. That's why when you do like, go um, to, I was just going to say when you do when you do go to places, if you do go to distilleries and or yeah warehouses, places where people are blending rum and, and and things like that, the amount of barrels that they have is, it's it's pretty crazy. It's, it's scary. It's yeah. a lot of money. I went to a, um, a winery in Rioja and they had like ten million pounds just in barrels. <laughs> <laughs> like that had wine in. so that just they were just sat there I got lost like in the, the cellar because it all just looks the same cause it's amaze just, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just barrels everywhere so I got very yeah. lost it's a nightmare good though great wine 
my heart, my heart bleeds for you, getting lost in a massive <laughs> wine cellar in Rioja. I wouldn't get thirsty, I suppose. <laughs> well, I think... <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, I think that just about covers the bases we wanted to cover in this episode, yeah. right? Yeah. I think I it think maybe so. went on a bit longer than we did it with. Yeah, that's fine. But there's, there's just so much to cover, isn't there, when it comes to ageing? It really is. Yeah. Is it me or you? Uh, it's you today, I think. I, I gave the spiel last time. Right. I'm just going to say this every time. <laughs> I know, anyway, yeah. You, you know I forget these things. Oh, absolute sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yes, once again, if you're watching this, uh, like I said, you you'll be, should be watching it on YouTube. Um, so, uh, in that case, give us a subscribe, like the video, leave any comments you want to leave, anything you want to ask, etc., etc. Um, if you want to just send us like love notes or tell us we look handsome, uh, we'll also take those. I think <laughs> at this point, <laughs> uh, if you uh, want to tell us to get rid of our beards because we look scruffy, don't post that. Um, it's not that No. Uh, if you want to tell me to get a haircut, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> if you want to start a crowdfund to uh, get Andy's haircut, yeah, he's in dire need at the moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> other than that, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it is just run with it, all one word. Um, no underscores or anything stupid like that. Um, we're very simple folk. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, we've got some stuff going on. We might have some exciting news, potentially, about a guest soon, which would be fun. Um, so we'll probably have a great laugh with the person in question if they want to do it. Um, what else is there? It's about it, right? I think, I think that's about it for now, yeah. Yeah, give us a follow on Instagram. We'll say hi, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Good job. Yeah. And we'll Good see you all next well time. Yeah, see you next time. Sticking stuff in room and um, what else are we doing? Uh, filtration and no. some other we'll bits. We'll do fil- filtration, colouring. Yeah. Adams, I reckon. All the good stuff. Right. Adios. <laughs> you sound through.